And uh, I will not be preaching this morning. And some of you are saying, yeah, we about needed a break from you, so this is a good, good timing. Uh, we, have a, we have a treat this morning. We, um, we have a, a guest speaker that I will introduce to you. Uh, when I was uh, moving from Chicago here about a year and a half ago, one of my concerns and my prayers were that God would provide brothers and friends for me. I had a, had a tight community of pastors in Chicago that I was leaving, and I knew I was going to miss that support and accountability and encouragement. So I was praying that God would send the right people into my life, and, and I am amazed how quickly that happened. And uh, Pastor Pleasant is one of the brothers that God sent me graciously and providentially, and I've been enjoying a friendship with him over the last year or so. So I am just thrilled to be able to welcome him and He's going to preach to us. Uh, he has been a pastor, founding pastor at New Life Christian Church. Some of you have passed by that church, uh, especially if your children have gone to Coldwater Elementary School. It's right across the street on Weehop there. And uh, he uh, is the author of nine books, uh, and I'm sure you can get all that information on the website or from him personally. He's been married to his lovely wife for 28 years, and so we rejoice with them and celebrate that with them. One thing that uh, Pastor Pleasant wanted to communicate as the way of introduction uh, is that he loves God. He loves God. Uh, you get to know the person when you pray with them. I have prayed with Pastor Pleasant many times now and has seen that passion for God to know him, to love him, and to serve him. And I'm sure it will come through in his preaching as well. So I'm going to welcome Pastor Pleasant. Come on up and uh, let's, let's welcome him. of love a hopeless case an empty place if not for grace where would I be you only know Lord I'm glad you see through eyes of love I was a hopeless case, sitting in a broke-down, empty place, if not for grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found, a hopeless case. Who can identify with that? An empty place, if not for grace. Let's give Jesus a hand, praise. And then let's give the Holy Spirit a hand, praise. Amen. We just, amen. We, we, we're grateful. I'm not a, a man of a lot of preliminaries when it comes to grace in the roster. But by it being my first time here, I want to acknowledge, amen, what Pastor Sergey said, that God is doing something very unique in a relationship between him and myself and Pastor Dave Griner. Amen. We're grateful that God has so fit, uh, sought to put us together and to do a work for him in these days, in this time that we are living in. I thank God for my wife. Amen. Uh, she's a miracle. In 2013, in 2013, my wife died twice right before me, and the Lord brought her back right before me. So God is still working miracles. Come on, we can give God a hand, praise. I thank God for Brother Kenny Green, who's, a, a, who's actually a, uh, my right-hand man. He's always there to support us and take care of us. I wanted to do something real quick, um, try to get an idea of the audience of this church. This is my first time here. Um, who likes the St. Louis Cardinals? Okay, who loves the Cubs? Uh, nah. <laughs> I, I, uh, 
a few years ago, the St. Louis Cardinals were in the World Series, and they were playing, I believe, was it the Texas Rangers? And they were losing. And it was the bottom of the ninth, and I believe they were losing by maybe two runs. And this guy from St. Louis named David Freeze gets up to the plate. Now, what I did was I basically just shut the television off in my mind because of what David Freeze had previously done. And it's amazing because I just met his mother a few weeks ago. I'm glad she didn't know what I was thinking about her son. <laughs> but uh, David Freeze takes us, I, I believe it was two strikes on him. And I'm sure everyone in here, whether you have faith or not, had a, made up your mind, it's over. How many said it was over? When, how many said it was over? How many had thoughts? I got two hands over there from one person. How many, it was over. Well, I said the same thing. It was over. But one swing of the bat took me from doubting Thomas and doubting David Freeze to jumping up off my couch. Anybody do this? Fist pump. How many people did a fist pump for David Freeze? Come on, let's be honest. How many did a fist pump for David? How many say, yeah, I knew it? <laughs> I got a question for you. Jesus Christ hit a home run 2,000 years ago. What do we give him? Do I have anybody to do a fist pump for Jesus? Can, can we do a fist pump? Yeah, Jesus. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, neighbor, I'm going to fist pump Jesus. For the home run that he hit for me. Come on, give God a hand, praise. I am humbled and blessed to be in the pulpit today. And am grateful because when I look at, I find myself like, like Paul, uh, who considered himself the least of all the disciples uh, or the apostles. But... Knowing my history, knowing my past, I shouldn't be in this pulpit. But I'm glad God doesn't work like us. Because the Lord takes broken people. Don't raise your hand, but I'm sure there's one or two broken. There's a broken person in here. But God takes broken pieces and makes masterpieces out of them. And he uses them for his glory. I'm going to be reading from the book of 1 Kings. Seventeenth chapter. And so when you get there. Paul said these words in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, 4, and 5. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and I'm crucified. My speech and my preaching was not in enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of Pastor Pleasant, but in the power of God. Paul was very determined and very intentional to let people know that he would not offend the cross of Jesus Christ. And every time a man gets up in the pulpit, we must remember he is an ambassador of Christ. For the things of Christ, not to represent himself, but to represent God, represent the son, Jesus Christ. And I'm not here to entertain anyone. I'm not here to impress anyone. I'm just here to confirm what's already been taught, because I believe that this is a sound, solid church. I believe that you're not going to hear anything new today, but you're going to hear a confirmation from God. In first Kings, the 17th chapter, those of you that have a King James Version Bible, uh, if you would read out loud for me verses, verses 1 through 7. Everyone else just read if you have a different Bible. And the only reason I do this is because I don't want it to be sounding gibberish in here. Everybody got different NIVs. And, but if you have a King James Version Bible, just read from your seat, starting at verse number 1 in 1 Kings 17 chapter. Read the Bible. Come on, let's read together, Saint. Read out loud. And Elijah. We only have one King James Version. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. 
Well, we're gonna. Well, I can work with all translations. So, Lady Pleasant, if you don't mind, would you read for us, please? Read on. Amen. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to read that out loud so you all would know that I'm not reading some from some foreign material here. Uh, your Bible should read uh, the same. I want to give you a little background here. After the death of King Solomon, the children of Israel went into a civil war. And basically it was called a divided kingdom. This period of history is also known as the chaotic kingdom stage. There were ten tribes up in the north. And then there were two tribes that made up the south, and that was Judah and, and Benjamin. And they kept the ways of David, but the, but the tribe of north actually went the way of Baal worship. During the, uh, the chaotic kingdom stage, uh, there were the history of the first kings and second kings gives us the history of 20 kings that ruled Judah, and then also uh, 19 kings that ruled Israel. The northern kingdom is called Israel, or it's also referred to as Ephraim in scripture, and then the southern kingdom is called Judah. There are two viewpoints I want to bring out, is that one from a divine viewpoint, the division was a judgment on not keeping God's command, specifically the commands prohibiting idolatry. And we're bathing in idolatry in our world today like never before. There was an individual by the name of Jeroboam who established the worship of Jehovah under the image of golden calves at Bethel and at Dan. And then at Dan, he ordained annual festivals uh, and made it unlawful for his subjects to go to Jerusalem to worship as the law of Moses required. And as I read that and look at the history, I said to myself, if only Solomon had not married those strange women. It is very important that you don't hook up with people who are not walking the same way you're walking. It is very important that you make sure that if you live in godly lives, then you don't get some ungodly person and begin to walk in unity with them. Because the Bible says, "Except two walk together, how can they agree? Except they, if they walk in together, they have to be in agreement. We have to be in agreement that God is who He said He is. We have to be in agreement that when we look at the Word of God, Amen. We can take the Word of God for what God has given it to be in our lives. But we can see here also from a second perspective, from a human viewpoint, the division was a result of a tribal discord." And political unrest. And I enjoyed the prayer today, amen, the elder that prayed, because we are living in a day and time where I never dreamed that we would have the political stuff that we have going on in our world. I am not a politician. I don't bring in political things. But this is just the way of our world. And yes, we respect government, but government should behave itself also, amen? If you're going to represent the people, then you should be... Amen. Behaving yourself. So we really need to do some serious praying, especially for this election that is coming up. I heard one pastor friend of mine said, I'm going to vote for Jesus. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, 
I'm not telling nobody where, which way to vote, because like I said, I don't really go down the road of, of political stuff. But I'm telling you right now, if God don't intervene, we're in trouble. If God does not intervene, we're in serious trouble, people. Amen. But how many know that God will show up? How many know that God will hear the prayers of his people? When we began to pray, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and I will heal the land. But from a human viewpoint, we can see that the division Amen. was a tribal discord and political unrest. And the underlying principle is that sin brings division. Sin brings division. Anytime you see division among people, you can trace it all the way back to sin. Amen. And if we stop fighting racial prejudices and began to deal with sin, we can get healing in our land. Amen. Amen. We, we, we don't want to be caught up fighting the wrong fight because we know this. The ultimate issue of all the world's problems is sin. And our Savior came to seek and save those that are lost. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the sin debt in four. And no one should be living underneath that privilege of being free from sin. Amen. Because once you say yes to Jesus... All of sin's powers have been broken. But here's what we know. That Jesus said this to his disciples. I must go through Samaria. Now we know Samaria were not full-blooded Jews. They were born out of captivity, of the Assyrian captivity, and they called them Samaritans. And so the full-blooded Jews did not accept the Samaritans because they were half-blooded. But look at what Jesus said here. He said, I must go through Samaria. I'm going to give you three reasons why Jesus said that. One, he knew that the Samaritans were not feeling on the same level as all the other Jews. He knew that they were half-blooded Jews. Number two, Jesus knew that the full-blooded Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they were not like them. They were not full-blooded. They felt like they were less than. But here Jesus says, I'm going to go through Samaria because I'm going to right every wrong. I'm going to find people that's in Samaria that need to know that I love them just like I love everyone else. So this is why Jesus purposely decided that I must go through Samaria. Also, he also did it because he loved the Samarians, Samaritans equal, amen, with the Jewish people. And this we know, amen, because Jesus has no respect of any person, no respect of anyone. And so Jesus loves, amen, each one of us the same. And I want to say this, Jesus also stood for women. Amen. Back in the Bible days, women were treated as mats. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm going to treat the women the same as I treat the men. Somebody, amen, is, is grateful for that. Give God a praise for, amen, how Jesus looks at us. So when you understand the history of the chaotic kingdom stage, when you understand it, you will understand and you realize how messed up things were. It, it went, by the time you get to Kings, first Kings here, you can see that, man, it was in a chaotic state. It wasn't the way God had designed it. It wasn't the way God had planned things to be. But we see them divided. But we know God's going to bring them back together. The kingdoms will one day be brought back together after God finished dealing with the Gentiles. But sometimes God tends to allow chaos and for a period of time. Sometimes God seems to allow things to be out of, out of whack. And you find yourself wondering, God, well, why did, why did you allow this to happen? And there are certain things that God does we may never get answers to. But I remind of a man by the name of Gideon of the tribe of Manasseh. Gideon had a question once the angel came to him. And he asked the question, where be all those miracles that our forefathers talked to us about? You can see in the book of Judges how God raised up 13 different judges. 
and allowed them to be in periods of suffering at a time only to come back when they cried out. We could see God dealing with Moses. Moses actually killed someone. God allowed him to be sent somewhere from, a, from living in a palace to going and take care of some sheep. And then God got him on the backside of the mountain where he wanted him to be, and God began to deal with him. And God does that on purpose, and he strategically does that because he's God. And he can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and how he wants to do it. And so today, when I look in the audience of the people of God here, I believe I'm on a mission for some individual who God has prepared for this time that we're living in today. I believe God has been stretching you. God has been putting you in uncomfortable positions. God has been moving in your life, putting you on the backside of the mountain, maybe where nobody knows who you are. But God is up to something. He's up to something in your life. And I'm talking to people who may have cried about their life. I'm talking about people who feel like, well, God, I've been praying, but I don't see anything happen. Let me say this, and I'll say it flat-footed. Amen. God is up to something in your life, whether you see it or not. Whether you recognize it or not, God is doing something. God's not going to waste those experiences that you've had. He's not going to waste those trying times that that you've had in your life. He's using those times to stretch you, to conform you, and to bring you into obedience so that when he releases you to do what he's told you to do in this world, you will be ready to do what God said do. In 1 Kings, I'll say it like this, God raises people up from nowhere. God does have the answers, church. And God is still in control. With all the chaos that we see going on in our country, with all the chaos we see going on worldwide, we are not to be alone. We're to be at peace in our spirit because our God, the God that made this world out of nothing and hungered on nothing and is still hanging today, God is still in control. And that excites me, church. That that, that lets me know, amen, that things are not out of whack, amen, according to God's plan. Listen to what the Bible says. Satan has come down having great wrath, for he knoweth he had but a short time. But the book of Romans said, God said, I'm going to finish the work, and I'm going to cut it off in righteousness. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we win. Yeah, that's just like the Cardinals. It looked like the Cardinals were losing, but when Freeze hit that ball out the park, amen, they turned around and won. God's going to turn this thing around. God's going to turn things around and cause us to get the victory over what we see as chaotic. So in 1 Kings 1 through 8, I'll get to the text and I'm going to give you five things. Amen. Especially you who know that God is speaking directly into your life. We see the prophet Elias, also known as Elijah. He was born in a remote little village called Tishbe, which lies among the mountains of Gilead on the other side of the Jordan River. The area where he was born is not far from the country of Gergesenes, which is the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. He commanded the the, the demons to go into the swines, Luke the 8th chapter. Something about Elijah is that he dressed strange. Amen. He was known to wear a linen girdle. And he was the outdoors type man. Uh, you that love Cabela, you that love going out fishing and all that rugged stuff, I mean, you could appreciate Elijah because he was a rugged man. But now before we lock God into just only using rugged people, if you examine Elisha's life, Elisha was just the opposite. But, you know, we have this tendency that, you know, we size things up and we say, well, God, this is the only type of person you use. I'm here to tell you God can use anyone at any time that he chooses to use them. And so as we look at Elijah, he was born and raised by a Jewish family in which we know nothing of. Amen. His, uh, his birthplace is Tishbe. It's interpreted as it means to a uh, place of a converter. And the name Elijah means my God of power. Jehovah is my strength. We need to start naming our babies uh, something that reflects God. Amen. We, we got all these different kind of strange names. We name, can't even pronounce the name. Amen. But we need, to, we need to give our children some names that remind them of who they serve. We need to give our children names that remind them who our families represent. Because this is what they did amen, in the Bible in the Old Testament. 
But we know nothing about his childhood life. He just shows up on the scene. And most likely Elijah was a child, amen, with no education or no schooling. Now, I'm all about education. Don't get me wrong here. But there are some people in the world that just don't cut it. And then sometimes because we push that so much, we'll make a person think that they, because they don't have what other people have, God can't use them. So I'm here to tell somebody today, do ne- never disqualify yourself. I don't care what grade level you've made it to, you still potentially can be used by God. You still can potentially, amen, be used to make a difference in the world, amen, by the hand of God. His father's name was Sadak, while we know nothing of his mother. But in the book of Kings, we find Elijah entering in a chaotic stage of history and abruptly out of nowhere with the word of faith and power, presenting himself to the king. And this is verse 1 of the 17th. Uh, chapter, and I just want to say this, that God sent Elijah, the Tishbite, <laughs> a name with a name by Tishbite, to make you know that he's got to be some rugged or something. Amen. But the Bible says that he was an inhabitant of Gilead. Now, in the greatest crisis of the day, amen, one of the greatest prophets who have no writings left on record behind, Elijah the Tishbite, appeared like a sudden thunderstorm on the scene. And he gave staggering blows to an ungodly system. And this is what got my attention, amen, as I was praying and asking God, what would he have me to say to this church? I need you all to understand something. When any real true man of God stands before the people of God, they want to make sure it's God that they're hearing from. And that's something that I am very serious about. We need to hear from God. We need to hear from God. And I don't really know what has happened in our world today. It seems as though we have shifted. But there was an individual by the name of Hudson Taylor, who's a missionary to China. At the age of four, Hudson Taylor knew that he wanted to be a missionary over in China. But for some reason, we've seen them shifted. And there's really no serious passion like the Charles Spurgeons that we see. Amen. Those A.W. Tozers, those type of people who are very passionate about God. But it seems like it, when, when the church starts shifting with the culture, we began to lose that passion for God. But I'm here to say this, and I know one of the prophets believed that he was the only prophet left. But God said, I've got 7,000 prophets that have not bowed down to bear. I believe God always has someone in the wing that he's going to bring up. God is always going to bring somebody out that he has been having, amen, at a brook chair. A person that's been behind on, on the rough side of the mountain. God has been dealing with your life. You've been faithful to the scriptures. You've been, amen, faithful to just being passionate about God. And this is the way it was with Elijah. Elijah, amen, as he comes on the scene, he had to have been, amen, in in a place where God could deal with him. Before we even knew anything about him, God had him in a place where he can make him and mold him. The same thing he did with Moses. He did that. He made him and molded him before he got him to lead the people out. And some of us are the pastors that are in here. You understand this. You understand this very clearly. Amen. We've got to go through some brokenness. We've got to go through some lonely times. We've got to go through some times when everyone else is going to the left and we've got to be standing flat-footed going to the right. If that's what God, is, if that's what God has for our life, amen, then we've got to stay there until God brings a manifestation of what he's doing in your life. And I'm here to tell you, though you may be feeling stretched, there's a blessing in for being stretched. Because when God is stretching you, when God is moving you beyond yourself, when God is getting rid of yourself and replacing you with himself, amen, then there come a day where God will release you. And it will, it will be a time when most likely things will be chaotic. And Jesus himself came at a time when the world was in major chaos. We know there was 400 years of silence from God between Malachi and Matthew. We know that God was still dealing in the earth, but he never spoke by prophets. Amen. So there were dry times. But God has prepared a person in this house, and he's prepared a few people in this house, amen, to strategically 
be put in places where you can make a difference. And when you put in a place to make a difference, you got to do things God's way and not the way people expect you to do it. I'm going to give you five things today that I, that I see in this scripture, amen, in this text. And you can, amen, write it down and then begin to ponder what God is saying. Because I believe with all of my heart, God is speaking in this house. Number one, the Bible lets us know that Elijah the Tishbite, amen, he went directly to Ahab. He went and confronted a king. And I'm here to tell you that whenever you confront the king in that day, you're going to end up dead. So the first thing about people who God is stretching, the first thing about people who God is putting in places is that they're not intimidated. Amen. They won't be intimidated by no one. They, got, they, they won't be backed down by, by, by no type of political stuff. They won't be backed down by people that may not like what they're saying. They have been armed and they are equipped and they're going to speak what thus say the Lord. They don't mind speaking things, amen, in danger. They don't mind speaking, amen, about the Lord when it comes to issues. I'm reminded of a man by the name of Polycarp. Man, where they wanted to, they told him, listen, you could say something bad about the Lord Jesus. Amen. You could save your life. But Polycarp, instead of, instead of standing up and saving his life, and they, they threatened to burn him at the stake. Amen. Polycarp said, I cannot say anything wrong about my Savior and my master who's never done me any wrong. They got ready to tie Polycarp up. He said, don't even tie me up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to even run. In other words, here's a man who said, I'm going to stand for Jesus, whether I face death, whether I face, uh, uh, opposition. Amen. I have been designed. I have been created. I have been prepared by God to do something in the midst of a chaotic world. And it was chaotic then, and it is chaotic now in the United States of America. It is chaotic over in the Middle East. It is chaotic over in Russia. Everywhere you look, there is chaos. Amen. And there's a saying, they say, order out of chaos. There's a plan to bring order out of this chaos. But there's a plan from heaven that God can make order out of chaos. But God needs somebody who's been behind closed doors. Somebody who's been weeping between the porch and the altar. Somebody who's been standing in the word of God and telling God, whatever you want me to do then use me listen i tell people all the time i'm not into protesting i'm not into doing i'd rather go into prayer because when you start praying you can shake the world when you start praying and spending time with god alone amen god can use you he can equip you he can build you and you can do more in 10 minutes after spending time with god than a whole month of protesting we need some people that will pray and i believe god has some people that will pray but they don't back down and he did not back down. I, I like this part because God has a sense of humor. And the Bible says, that the, this, is what he, this is what Elijah said. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there should not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. I remember as a kid watching movies, and they would catch a guy that had the cold or the plans to where a treasure was hidden. And they would beat this person, but they wouldn't kill him. Because if I killed you, then I won't be able to find out where the treasure is. And when Elijah said this to the king, he said, this rain is going to stop according to my word. So now Ahab got enough sense to say, wait a minute, if this guy is telling the truth, and I kill him, then I'll never be able to have it to rain again. Amen. So we can see that Elijah went, Elijah went before, amen, Ahab, and he told him, and God is stretching him here. He's stretching him because to go before a king is a very dangerous step to take. Number two, number two, these are people who God will stretch and people who God is using. They value time along with God. People that are being stretched, they get to a place where they value time alone with God. And listen, understanding that God strategically moves them into isolated places. Elijah, we know, went before Ahab. And then we see God telling Elijah to move and go to a deserted place. Now understand this. Sometimes God will have you doing a great work and all of a sudden God will stop that work that you're doing 
and shift you to something else. And these are the times when people start wondering, God, what did I do wrong? These are the times when people start wondering, well, God, I was doing a great work for you. But what you need to understand is that whenever God moves you from somewhere, he has something else greater up the road. But he has to prepare you. And I have to say this, it is hard. It's hard getting into the place where God will have you in isolation. Because everybody wants to go where everybody knows your name, right? Everybody want to go to places where people know you and, amen, you're well-respected. But God's method of dealing with us is he gets us alone. He isolates us to to insulate us. And this is what God was doing with Elijah. He tells him to go to Brook Cherub. Please understand this. He's in the palace. There are people that's hearing of his ministry. There are people that's probably wanting to follow and get along with him. But God said, no, not at this time. I want you to go and be by yourself. I want you to go into a place where it's deserted. I want you to go to a place where nobody else is out there but you. And I was so concerned. I said, well, how long did he stay here? So I had to do some research. For 12 months, 12 months, Elijah was at Brook Cherub. No friends, animals at night, no doubt because he's human like we're human. I'm sure that there was temptation to tell a man, forget about God. Go on and do your, go on and do your own thing. But yet he stayed and he began to stay. He began to pray. He began to spend time. And you know what? I understand what that transition is because we all love the connection and fellowship of the human touch. But there comes a time when you begin to transform, amen, or transition from that human touch to just being in a relationship with God. And I can tell you this in my own life, for the last 15 years, God takes us on 30 days fasting where we're not dealing with anyone but him, but it's me and God. Amen. God allows us to fast, pray. I know we're saying today fasting. I know that's antiquated in the church today, but God, amen. God still take people on places where they push their place back so they can develop a relationship with God. And I find myself, even as I began these fasts and shut-ins, I find myself the first three or four days agitated. And about the seventh and the eighth and ninth day, you start to settle down. And then about the 15th day, you really start to appreciate being with God. And whenever you get to that place where God starts dealing with you like this, he's stretching you, but you're going to appreciate your stretch. It's kind of like Campbell's soup. It says, mm-mm, good. Amen. It's mm-mm, good when God starts stretching you. It's mm-mm, good when God starts choosing to take you by yourself and want to spend time alone with you because he's infusing himself inside of you because, listen to me, he's an all-knowing God, isn't he? He knows everything up the road. So what he does in eternity past, he gives us all our assignments. The DNA, it's in our spiritual DNA. And when we began to walk in the will of God, we will find ourselves sometimes in a lonely place with God so that God can equip us. And let me tell somebody something here this morning. You're not strange. You're not weird. Because this is where our human mind tells us, am I straight? What's going on with me? No, God just wants you to himself because he has a plan for you. Don't you know God knew that they were going to be down in Egypt for 400-something odd years? But he takes a murderer and uses a murderer to help lead them out. God will use anyone that he can get along and spend time with him, and he becomes the apple of your eye. He becomes the object of your affection. I'm going to ask a question this morning. Is God the object of our affection this morning? Because we could sing a song, and we could say how great is our God, but is he? Is he first in your life? Look what the Bible says. In the last days, there will be a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Do you deny the power of God? Or do you say God can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do, and how he wants to do it? I'm a believer of that. And I believe God has some people that he's raising up already that's going to be crossing barriers, that's going to go into uncomfortable territories and do what God has called them to do. William Wilberforce was one of the men that just crossed over and did something that was against the grain. And God uses people that will go against the grain. They're not trying to be people pleasers. 
They're not trying to be well liked by everybody. They just want to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's what I want to live for. I want God to say, well done. I don't want to get to God and he say, well, listen, I, I never knew you. You work at the iniquity. I'd rather hear God say, well done. So we can see that God, amen, the, the people that God uses, they, uh, they, love, they love valuable time. They, they value the time along with God. Number three, they're bold. Bold. Whenever God, amen, gets someone and he begins to deal with them, they are bold. As the word of God lets us know that, uh, uh, that Elijah came, amen, he came with faith and power. In other words, when he began to speak, amen, he began to rattle places wherever he went. Wherever he went, amen, he made a noise, amen, that was a reflection of the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know why, but in the day and time we living in church, we need God to make some noise. Amen. We, we're so scripted in our church, we can say this is going to happen, that's going to happen there. Amen. But I'd rather see God do like the young man, amen, that was sitting by the gate of Nicanor. The Bible said for four, 40 years, this young man, they carried him down there, and he was sitting there asking for alms. The gate of beautiful in the book of Acts. But one day, Peter and John was coming up. Amen. They said, listen, he's begging for alms. They said, listen, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And you know what? I read the story and the young man, they were in church praying. The young man came in the church and broke up the prayer meeting. Amen. We need somebody with a miracle to break up the prayer meeting because I love praying. But every now and then we need to see God do a miracle. Every now and then we need to see God take one of our children that's strung out on heroin and turn their lives around. Every now and then we need to see God move in our churches. Listen, because the God that we serve, he's able to do it. This is what the Bible said about Jesus. Jesus went back to his own country, and the Bible said he didn't do many miracles there. You know why? Because the people were sitting around saying, isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that Mary, Mary's son? No, no, no. No, he's the son of God. And see, wherever God is welcome to do what he wants to do, then God will do it. And listen, I'm not saying this blanket for everybody, but on October the 2nd, amen, when that beautiful wife of mine died and I came into the room and I heard them counting up to four minutes, I looked up in heaven. I said, Lord, send her back because I need her. And when they hit her with the defibrillator, her heart began to pump again. And this is the true story. I I opened my mouth and said, I'm here, honey. We went back to the nurse, the charge nurse, a few months later after my wife was going through enough recovery. And she said these words to me and sent chills up and down my spine. She said, Pastor Pleasant, the moment you open your mouth, she said, every doctor, every nurse, every worker that was in that room saw the peace of God come into the room. I'm talking about somebody who don't, who don't even profess Jesus, but she saw the power of God. And I'm listening to me, church, we're, the Bible said we're the salt of the world, right? Aren't we the salt of the earth? And salt does two things. What does it do? It changes the flavor. It preserves. Amen. It's, and, and what else does salt do? It makes you thirsty. And so we should be making people thirsty for Jesus. We should be making people, we should be changing the flavor. When people are in the room talking some wrong talk, when you and I walk in with the power of God, amen, the atmosphere should change. That's the kind of God I serve. That's the kind of God. And when I read the Bible and then I look at our church world today, I'm wondering, why is it that we don't allow God to have his way? And I'm here to help you understand something. I'm a very well-balanced man of God. I'm not off into the deep end of stuff, crazy stuff. Even when I saw an angel come into the room with my wife, I was going to keep it to myself. Until four days later, my wife, who had pins and needles all in her, 12 pillars around her, woke up and said to me, who was that man standing at the end of my bed? At the, at the end of my bed, didn't do anything but just stood there. I knew it was an angel from God that came down because God let me know that he came here to comfort us. And I know the angels of the Lord are there encamping around about all the people of God. Amen. God encamped his angels around us. Amen. But God wants to see the people of God do greater things. God wants to see the people of God in the midst of this stuff that we're going through in our world. We need to see God. Come on, church. Come on, church. I know most people are saying today, well, you know, my child, a heroin addict, I've been fighting it for a long time, and, hey man, they're just going to die a heroin addict. I, 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 I disagree with that. I believe the power of God can change your situation. I believe God's power, if we let him, I believe God can change our situation. And sometimes we can be at wit's end with our children. We can be at wit's end because their behavior is all off the chart. But we forget that we can pray to God. 
And God said, if you pray to me, I hear the cry of my people. He said, I'm the same today, yesterday, and forevermore, and I change it not. So why would God deliver them in the Old Testament? Why would he deliver in the New Testament and then let the church of our day don't ever see him do anything? Amen? So I'm here to tell you by faith that I believe God will answer our prayers. I believe that if we go to God with passion, God will answer our prayers. Oh, yes, he allows us to go through things. We had a woman with the issue of blood. Amen? We have a woman with the infirmity for 18 years. But when Jesus showed up in the synagogue, he told the woman, thou art loose. Come on, church. Amen? What am I trying to say today? We need to invite God back into our sanctuaries. We need to invite God back into our services. We need to have the real raw power of God where people can come and get ministered to, where people can be set free from things that got them bound. Listen, I serve a God that's alive and well. He's not dead. We ain't had no funeral for God. He's just looking out on the earth to, for, for, to perform his word. But I got a question. Does anybody want to see God? You got to raise your hand for me today. I'm looking. Does anybody want to see God? Oh my God? How many know we need him? How many here got a situation in your life that only God can deal with it? And listen, I'm not too afraid to say, God, you, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do this. But I know what we're living in. We live in a day where we're intellectual. We, you know, we, we got it all down pat. Well, I'm not like that, y'all. I need God. I needed God that day. And then the next day when she died for six minutes, and then the Bible, and, and then the doctors told me that three minutes of no oxygen to your brain, you suffer irreversible brain damage. Now, that's from the medical field. But see, when you get something from heaven, it's a whole nother story. Because God, and I'm not saying this is for everyone, because my father died of cancer. Come on, church. So I'm not preaching that everybody's going to be healed and everybody's going to be delivered. But we ought to at least give God a chance. We ought to at least say, God, Father, I need your help at this time. I have a broken situation. Oh, yeah, the Metrodome Clinic is all right, but Jesus is even better. Come on, we can call Jesus. He can heal. He can make whole. Look at Jesus' track record. Everybody he deal with, dealt with, he said, made die or made whole. Then he, he dealt with some joker that only that saw men as trees. <laughs> Just said, no, you need to be delivered again. And then he began to see, I see men as they are. So when God heals, God heals and make whole. The woman with issue of blood was healed and she was made whole. So number, number, number three, they're bold. They permeate faith and power. They impact and influence all for the glory of God. Let me make sure you understand that. This is not no Showtime at the Apollo. This is not no YouTube. Amen. This is not no MySpace and all this stuff, Facebook. Amen. God gets glory out of everything he does in an individual's lives. I remember years ago, I was, I was preaching at a church. It was a 95% white congregation. And God gave me a message. And it was titled Damaged Goods. And I preached that message. The next day, Pastor Griner, I was at my job. I received a phone call from an elderly white lady. And she said to me, she said, thank you for coming and delivering the word to our church. I said, well, you're welcome, ma'am. She said, can I share a moment with you on what happened and what God did through your message? She said, a few years ago, my son committed suicide. My husband and I have been under the cloud of that gloom ever since then. But she said, after the message you spoke on that Sunday, or that Sunday, she said, God took that away from me. We can give God a hand, praise church. That's all right. It's all right. I, I don't want to say to you all, just, just imagine a freeze hitting the home run. Let's give God a praise for what God can do. Amen. We, because he, he's worthy of our praise. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. Number four, people can tell that you have been with God. When you've been alone with God, people can just hear your voice. They can just see and they know that you have been alone with God. The disciples, they can tell that the disciples have been with God. Even when they began to come up and try to press them, they said, these men have been with the Lord. There's a residue of God on individuals that spend quiet times with him. People that allow God to take you to places where you're all by yourself, like Elijah was. And when Elijah was released from there, amen, God had used him to do some mighty things. Because there was a woman at Zarephath that was on her last meal and was getting ready to die. But God sent him, Elijah, to Zarephath after the, after the brook had dried up. God said, okay, now you're prepared up the year. There's a woman up there that needs some food. And he made way for her to have food. 
Then her son died, and then he had to resurrect her, her son. Then there was a showdown on Mount Carmel. Well, what are you saying, Pastor? Well, I'm just saying this. Sometimes where God have you right now, it's only preparing you for where you're going to be. And so when God is healing you where you are, when God is doing something, he's giving you a makeover. I call it the wilderness. God takes everybody to the wilderness. He gives them a makeover. And the wilderness is not a pretty place. It's a place where a lot of crying goes on. It's a place where a a lot of agonizing. It's a place where a lot of stretching is going on. But it's sort of like the caterpillar. Because the caterpillar is a slimy, nasty little creature. But he builds this little cocoon. And after a few months or days or whatever, he tears out and he becomes something beautiful. I have a sign hanging in my office that said the caterpillar thought his life was over until he became a butterfly. And so God takes us in those cocoon-type times only to get us to a place where he can mold us and make us to be used by him. And you read the Bible, you can see that men and women, God used them for his glory. But they had to go through some Esther. She said, listen, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to go before the king because I got to stand up for my people. So God sends you into risky risky places. But before he sends you out, he qualifies you and equips you. The greatest story in the Bible to me is the story of Joseph, our type of Christ story. A young man that has a dream, two of them, only to find themselves being put in the pit, being lied on by Potiphar's wife, being put down in the prison, then being forgotten about in prison. But at the right time, God raised up Joseph out of all his experience to help him to be second in command of Egypt so that his people can be blessed. God is doing something in your life. You're being stretched right now, but he's doing something in your life. And I'm here to tell somebody, don't throw in the flag. Don't give up. Don't get disgusted with God. And, and, and he's big enough to deal with our disgust because sometimes I got, I've gotten disgusted with him. But after a while, I began to see what God is doing in my life. If I only knew what was up the road for my life, if only you knew, if Elijah knew that there was a woman one day was going to need him to raise her son. If, there, if he knew that there was going to be a showdown on Mount Carmel, amen, but God prepared him for these things. And the same God that dealt with the Bible, he's dealing with us today. And for those of us that have locked God and his miracles in the Bible and, and it's not for us today, God is looking for somebody that he can stretch. And I believe he already has some people here that he has been stretching. And then he sends a black preacher in here to tell you what he's doing. That's all right. Because he's God. Come on, church. He is God. And he's confirming what he's been doing in your life. And I told Pastor Sergey, I'm not going to say anything new in here that you all already don't know. I'm just going to come and confirm. Because I believe this is a well-taught church. And I believe, church, it's time for us to rise up. The Bible said the people that know their God, they're going to do some exploits. And I don't believe Christians need to be talking about what's going on in the world all the time and get to the place where we're frustrated. We can do something about it. Because the Bible tells me that we're a city that's set on a hill. We're light. We're on the hill that cannot be hid. And if we lose our salt, amen, the Bible said we're good for nothing but, but to be thrown out and the man to be trampled on feet. I don't want to be a sidewalk. Oh, come on, church. I don't mind standing on the sidewalk and standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ, but I want God to use my life. I don't want whatever I've gone through to be wasted, and neither should you. The last point I want to make here. Now, listen to what God says here. Uh, listen to what the, the people can tell you. Number five, uh, they witnessed the supernatural power of God. They witnessed the supernatural power of God. When God takes you and begins to stretch you, amen, that's why I call it the blessings of being stretched. Because while you're being stretched, you don't see what God is doing. All you do is feel what God is doing. Uh, but Paul said like this, though the outer man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. He also said that we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed, right? But that's what he says in the word of God. But they see the supernatural. Now, so this is what God does. He says to Elijah, he said, Elijah, I want you to go hide yourself 
I had a brook chair. And I want you to drink from the brook for your nourishment. But this is the thing that gets me right here. How many believe the Bible? How many believe the Bible here? This is what he says. He says, I'm going to send a raven. Now, I want you all to be in Elijah's place for a minute right now. God is talking to you right now. I'm going to send a raven to feed you. Now, how many of us can wrap our minds around obeying God when God is telling you, after you've been all around all these people, been before the king, now God getting ready to take you somewhere on the backside of the mountain where nobody sees you, nobody hears of you, and then he tells you to go drink some water out of that brook, and then he says a raven will come and feed you. I'm going to say this. This is a very, this is a universal law. Whenever something is closed up and shut up for a person of God, God will open up the windows of heaven to take care of them. That's why the psalmist said, I once was young, and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor the seed begging bread. He went anyway. The ravens met him in the morning. I'm glad he had ravens because if he had some people, 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 people probably wouldn't show up for a whole year. But the ravens showed up. The ravens showed up with flesh in the morning, and he brought them flesh in the evening. We're talking about a God that can send manna in your way. We're talking about a God that can open up, open up a red sea. I'm going to invite you in your own hearts. Let's live in that place where God will have us to live. Let's live where, where God can use us, amen, to be the instrument in this world and a voice for him. I believe we're living in that time right now where we're seeing Satan do his stuff. Now God's getting ready to show his stuff. But God needs some people that will say, God, I'm all yours. It's not my will, but your will be done. This is what he did in Elijah's life. He stressed him, took him to a place that he had never, ever been before. He remained there a whole year while God was feeding him, while God was teaching him, while God was guiding him. Only to be released to go to Zarephath and do great miracles there. So the time that God is using to stretch you, it's also a time where God can use you to be a blessing. I'm going to close here today. But I've asked for permission from pastor because I don't like to be disorderly in anyone's church. But if there's anyone in this house that heard the word of God today and the desire of God to use your life, I want you to stand to your feet. If you want God to use your life, thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you. 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 Now I want you to bow your head. Because it's not a mistake that I'm here this morning. It's a divine word from God. The book of Hebrews said this, that the word that was preached to them did not profit them anything because they did not mix it with faith. All God is asking you right now to do is take that measure of faith that he's dealt to you and extend it towards him. He's not asking you to figure it out. All he's saying is this, if you stand at your feet, what you're saying to God this morning is that, God, I want to be used in this day and time. I don't like the stuff I see going on in our world, and I believe, God, that you can use me to be a difference maker. Lift your hands up toward heaven. I'm going to pray a prayer. Father, I thank you and I praise you. Raise your hand. Just a sign that I'm surrendering. That's all it is. Father, I thank you and I praise you. My life and my journey has been with you, God, for these past years. But as I hear the word of God today, it connects in my spirit, Father, that we as a church want to first be used by you, and we want it to be you that's using us. We see the ills of our society. We see the confusion even among the sexes. We see the confusion in the families. We see the breakdown of the family, Father, and this should not be. But we hear from you and we heard you say that if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal the land. Father, today we make a commitment to stand on your word. Use us for your glory. And for those who have heard and understood why God have you where you are, Father, thank you for stretching us. Thank you, Lord, for moving us beyond our comfort zones that your glory may be revealed 
And when you use us, we'll be careful to give you the glory in Jesus' name. Thank God. Amen. Now, do me a favor. Before you sit down, let's just give God a hand praise. Let's give God a praise. And as, and as the pastor come, would you do this? Would you turn to your neighbor and hug your neighbor and just say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying with you. Amen. Bless you, pastor.